Hello, this is Michael Albert, and I am the host of the podcast that's titled Revolution Z. This is our 155th consecutive episode. Our guest is Sodorus Mitralexis. Sodorus is a visiting professor at IOCS Cambridge and a research fellow at the University of Winchester. He holds a doctorate in philosophy and political science, international relations, and in theology religious issues. He has been Seeger Fellow at Princeton University, a visiting fellow at the University of Cambridge, a visiting senior research association at Peterhouse, Cambridge, visiting fellow at the University of Erfurt, and, well, the list goes on. He has authored many books and much more, but most important from the perspective of Revolution Z, he entered DM25 shortly after its inception, and he ran as a candidate with Mera 25, that's M-E-R-A 25, in Greece's July 19th elections. That's a, uh, a party in Greece that's been running for office. After the elections, he worked for Mera 25's policy planning before moving on to the Meta Academic Director. So, Sotiris, welcome to our session. Very nice to, to find you here, dear Michael. Thank you very much for this invitation. Well, thank you for appearing. First, perhaps you could tell us what Meta is. What is its purpose and origin, and how did you come to be involved? Well, uh, Meta, that is the Center for Post-Capitalist Civilization, uh, is a nascent think tank trying to support the work of uh, the Greek party Mero25, lead, led by Yanis Varoufakis, the pan-European movement, Democracy in Europe movement, DiEM25, and the Progressive International. The way this was created was that when Greek parliamentary, when Greek parties, when Greek political parties enter the national parliament, they uh, do have the capacity to found a certain educational institute. Usually, most parties do not do much with that, and always it's a purely uh, Greek language thing. But because the whole movement is pan-European and international, and the difference here is that, you know, usually, as far as European politics is concerned, you have national parties and then these team up and create a European umbrella, such as the parties in the European Parliament. In the case of DiEM25, it was the other way around. First, a pan-European movement with a very clear desideratum is created, and then national uh, parties in the member states emerged. So uh, we opted to turn this opportunity into a bilingual think tank, both in English and in Greek, to the extent that this is, that this is possible because our funding is rather scarce. And uh, instead of simply, you know, having a title that would signify this or the other European or Greek element, we have a certain diagnosis which uh, guides our work. And we have just started. It's not even one year uh, of this think tank's life. The diagnosis, in our case, by Yanis Varoufakis, but this also forms a convergence with a lot of thinkers, such as your August company, if I understand correctly, such as you, um, is that this that we are living right now is not purely, properly speaking, capitalism anymore. It cannot be properly described as capitalism. For example, the very idea that uh, bankrupt entities such as uh, banks or mega companies, etc., will be saved by the state 
with taxpayer money in order for their existence to go on rather than simply, you know, go bankrupt and whatever ugly fate capitalism has for such entities seems to be a novel element. Now, even before the pandemic itself, but also in a way that is accelerated by the pandemic, we quite clearly see that we are led to something. This something that we are led to, not by ourselves, but by the motion of history right now, is a rather dystopic scenario. Uh, is a metamorphosis, a transformation of what we knew as capitalism in a very dystopic uh, version thereof. For example, just to cite an example, a number of months after Metis's uh, founding, um, Mark Zuckerberg opted to change his company name into Meta and to propose the Metaverse, a virtual place where we can all live, enjoy, meet friends and work. For example, if you work at a company that asks you to meet for a certain meeting in the Metaverse, you have to be part of that. It's not simply, you know, your choice. Yet, this whole virtual universe belongs to one person or to one company in any way, in any case. So we create wealth for that company by the mere fact of existing <laughs> or of, you know, uh, doing whatever we do with our lives, professional, private and otherwise. So uh, it seems that we are led in a certain dystopian version of what comes after capitalism. And the center tries to bring together thinkers that would have an alternative to propose. Not one theory, necessarily. We, we strive to bring together precisely people who see the nature of this predicament as a threshold, and these times as liminal times, and would like to propose how we will not be led by uh, history and techno-feudalists like Zuckerberg to a dystopian version of what comes next, but how we could shape a more, a better, a more utopian even uh, version for that. So that's more or less what we're trying to do. I think that the word think tank describes it uh, quite adequately as far as how this operates is concerned. Yet there is a twist that we try to have a dual nature to be both theoretical, analytical and artistic, cultural due to a certain uh, idea that two are the languages of subversion in this case. One is the analytical one, and what the other is the language of art. Obviously, I am no artist, nor am I an economist, so I work at the more theoretical and analytical part, and with the main task of coordinating different thinkers uh, in that. And we are overjoyed that you are part of the advisory board for that, which thankfully hosts a number of interesting personalities, none of whom agree with one another. <laughs> and this is the idea in a certain sense. Well, I'll tell you one thing that you don't get by virtue of me being on that board. You don't get an additional artistic component. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid there, other than, uh, you know, you might want to watch such and such, uh, at, I, I, I don't have much to lend. And whether I have anything in the other part, other aspects, well, that would be great to see. You know, it's interesting. The, I don't want to get off too much on it, but the Facebook meta 
name, not just a name, years back, it was totally obvious to some of us that Facebook actually saw itself not as an element of the internet, but as wanting to replace the internet. The idea was that early web system, you know, uh, uh, websites would be replaced by Facebook sites. And they actually got pretty far with that. So it is not that long ago, I think Facebook was maybe six or seven years behind the internet in scale. In other words, Facebook's size was equivalent to the internet just a few years before and growing faster than the internet. And now uh, they've come up with a, a new formulation for how to do that. Same goal, replace the whole damn thing with themselves. But now they give themselves a name and they're overt about it. Then you had to sort of read it in. Obviously, your use of the label is not intended to have uh, this Greek organization replace the entire world. Of <laughs> uh, So there are many differences. Um, I wonder something. You're... So meta, the idea is to is to formulate uh, vision, possibilities, maybe also strategy for going forward in a more utopian rather than dystopian fashion, something desirable rather than not desirable. Is there an element of organizing associated with it, or is meta providing tools and ideas and artistic expression, and the organizing comes elsewhere? Well, uh, as far as organizing is concerned, we, uh, we started as the think tank of precisely political organizations. One of them has a representation in the Greek parliament, well, to the extent that Greek, uh, Greece uh, matters, uh, as far as sizes are concerned, if you'd like. Uh, the pan-European one, etc. So uh, rather than we proposing how uh, actual organizations, actual mobile, mo mobilization will take place, we are an offspring of precisely this. Yeah. Yet the purely political part belongs to the movements and parties and organizations uh, that precede our existence as a think tank. And uh, we are trying not to be, you know, contained within this particular sum of movements and organizations, but precisely to converse with all the people, with well, most of the people, with the people that will agree to converse with us. That yeah. diagnose the present times as liminal ones. This is important for us. It's not, you know, the simple, the usual narrative that it's simply late capitalism. It's simply another transformation thereof. We see those times as truly liminal. And by the way, apropos Facebook that you mentioned, uh, this is also important that one way to react to something which is technological and quite hostile to a number of things is the Luddite reactionary way. No, technology is bad. Another uh, way is to discern that particular developments are ultra-capitalist in their nature. For example, the overlord of Facebook began with a certain vision for his company. But if you follow the development over the years, this has changed and again changed and again changed. And the very idea that you have a man in your screen that projects such an ambitious vision of creating a second world which will belong to him and where your participation will be more or less mandatory in many ways, or else you will become a monk, somebody who withdraws from the world. 
this is not something that uh, happens because because technology. <laughs> it's something that happens because particular people and particular companies and particular aggregations of capital desire it to be so. Yeah. So another question that is uh, quite a new question is how technology and the digital means that uh, lie now in front of us can be used in a very different direction. The difficulty with that is often sort of call it barriers to entry. Some years back, we thought, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with using technology for social communication, for the development of ideas, for sharing, et cetera, et cetera. There is something grotesquely wrong with Facebook and Twitter. And so we figured we'll try and create an alternative to Facebook and Twitter, which does it right. Does it? It's not so much does it right. They do it right from their point of view. Does it right from our point of view? Does it? But the difficulty was the barriers to entry. We, we, we did succeed in building something, but the response of people was, you know, they have 3 billion users, you have 12. How can you ask me to participate in yours instead of that? And I only have so much time. So it's difficult. Uh, we tried to convince Venezuela, the, the then Chavez government, to host it. And we almost succeeded. And we thought that that had a chance of breaking through that barrier to entry. And it's interesting. I mean, it's a completely different parallel, but maybe Meta has a chance to break through the barrier to sharing positive vision that, that Facebook represents. You know, so maybe that's a, maybe that's a kind of a part of the agenda. When did, when did you uh, get involved with the movement in Greece? And, I wonder how you've perceived the crisis that has caught up Greece for so many years now, and especially its current nature. In the United States, we just don't get that much intelligent commentary about what's going on and what's possible. Well, if I may just uh, provide a comment on your previous comment prior sure. to uh, <laughs> going on board, this one. Well, apart from things like Facebook, etc., and apart from the elements of a dystopian, you know, post-capitalism that are part of our lives, there are also elements that could be tools for the alternative that are already part of our lives as well. Yet, these by themselves, they don't bring about, you know, the utopia or even a better system by themselves. And very often they are assimilated by the current capitalist, uh, the current nature of uh, capitalism. For example, peer-to-peer uh, -peer and uh, the digital commons. I'm uh, quite amazed at what can be done in this respect, not only in terms of software, you know, and uh, Linux and alternatives to uh, company software, etc. For example, in a number of countries, Greece, uh, including Greece, There are peer-to-peer -peer laboratories where, for example, you might want to, as a state or as a person, whatever, to buy a wind turbine to engender electricity. Normally, you would buy that from a huge company like whatever, General Motors or the companies that make these things, and they have immense profits out of that. Yet, peer-to-peer -peer in the digital commons, as it seems, and you know that better than I do, Have, have been developed to such an extent where engineers will for free uh, publish designs which you can help materialize 
uh, in a local laboratory, and this will cost just a fraction of what it would cost to buy something. So even in this current predicament, there are elements that would be building blocks of that, of anything better, of any better alternative. But most of us simply are not aware of how developed these uh, capacities and ca capabilities are. Now, to turn to your primary question, and sorry for that, uh, well, when the crisis hit, I was, I was just after my uh, first degree and would embark on uh, research studies, in, on research in uh, Germany, in Berlin. The first shock was how the whole crisis was portrayed in German newspapers from the tabloids to the most serious ones. According, in my case, since I entered <coughs> the movement spearheaded by Yanis Varoufakis in Greece, according to the reading that I see as the sole reading that makes sense, uh, were Greece to go bankrupt, this would have immense repercussions on German and French banks. Thus, the bailout, the idea of the bailout, that is to give an immense loan, a new loan to an entity that cannot currently and presently repay its loans, it's madness in capitalist, in uh, the logic of capitalism as well. Yes, yet this bailout was presented as solidarity to the Greek people, uh, which were the Chicadas, whereas, for example, other nations were the aunts of uh, Europe, etc. This had shocked me quite a bit. Now, Greeks, for, uh, Greeks rebelled twice in the last dec decade. Once, they brought a party from the fringes, Syriza, the coalition for the radical left, which is now a major part of the system and did nothing truly alternatively, they brought a party from the fringes and uh, threw it into government. So they threw to the trash bin of history, only momentarily though, the whole Greek political system. This was a very courageous act. And then in the referendum of 2015, while everybody was shouting that if you vote no to the memorandum in the referendum, all hell will break loose, you know, earthquakes will appear, the moon will fall on the earth, and Godzilla will uh, be unleashed, they vote, two-thirds of Greeks voted for no. So these people have rebelled, for, have rebelled twice in the last decade. When the Syriza government assumed power, and by the way, I was not a big fan of those people. I did not see in them, well, my private opinion, you know, a subversive dynamism that could pull it off. I noticed that Varoufakis, Jens Varoufakis, the new finance minister, was a very, you know, serious personality, a very serious person who knew what he was talking about. And that the solution, be that as it may, the solutions that he was uh, proposing were not radical or utopian. He was proposing by-the-book solution, solutions under the present predicament of capitalism, by saying, for example, that bailouts and austerity simply do not work, that a debt restructuring is a sine qua non, uh, a necessity in such a situation, etc. And uh, then there was an Armageddon of character assassination. The response 
to what that uh, Minister of Finance would say was not that he was wrong, was not that another solution would be better, was not that we take those proposals as serious arguments, but the memorandum is still better. It was a character assassination that he was colorful shirts, etc., etc. Then he was removed from government after the referendum when the Prime Minister wanted to overturn the decision of the people against the referendum in order to implement it. The character assassination then went on, and I thought the following one, the following thing. It, it was a moral indignation, as it were, uh, dear Michael, that led me to actually, you know, enter the party and work for it. It's one of the seldom cases in my country, in Greece, that I see a politician speaking what I understand as the truth and seeming very persuasively not to have an ulterior motive. And in doing so, that politician is harassed to no end with immense amounts of verbal and public violence. Were I to had been a person saying something I consider as correct and saying that to some extent selflessly, would I want people to become allies, not to simply sit on their couches and say, you know, that person seems to be getting, in ri- getting it right. So it was an element of moral indignation that made me not simply agree with a certain political proposal, but actually want to go and join. So when DiEM25, the Democracy in Europe movement, uh, was founded in 2016 in Berlin, shortly thereafter, I wanted to take part in that. And then, you know, um, events took their course. Back then, we did not have the, founda- the, the, the opening of a Greek party as an explicit aim. It was not certain that, you know, it logically follows that after a pan-European movement, a Greek political party, among, among other parties, uh, will be founded. But then it was indeed founded. Everybody was saying that it will not be successful Uh, polls, etc., etc. Yet it was successful and it entered Parliament without me, but I was also part of the struggle for it to enter Parliament as a candidate. And uh, then we worked together on how a very particular uh, alternative could be forged and articulated for Greece. Now, unfortunately, our darkest prophecies have come true in Greece. Greece is locked In, an, uh, in a financial and politically zombie situation, in a zombie apocalypse without end, in that uh, the great majority of policy decisions are practically taken ab- ab- abroad, uh, which is an effect of uh, how Greece had lost its democratic uh, sovereignty during the crisis years. The party that was the prime representative of the ancien regime a new democracy, the conservative new democracy, with, the prime, with a prime minister who was a son of an earlier prime minister, uh, a brother of uh, an earlier minister, minister of foreign affairs, and an uncle of the current major of Athens, mayor of Athens. <laughs> uh, so the ancien regime came back into power triumphantly due to the failure, inability, and lack of desire of the so-called coalition of the radical left to provide an alternative. And we are locked uh, in a very dismal situation, if you want my not very optimistic view. Yet we are struggling precisely in order to articulate an alternative worth fighting for, 
in this particular country, in this particular member state of uh, the European Union. When I was in Greece back when, you remember the uh, shooting of the young man in the anarchist district, which then led to tremendous demonstrations throughout the country? Today, the demonstrations that remember that are today, because it was on the 6th of December. Anyway, so I was there after the shooting, but while there was this incredible outpouring, and I was talking to some of the people who were deeply involved in organizers and so on, and I asked them, you know, where things stood, and they said, you know, it's an incredible sort of a circumstance. There's about 40% of the country in motion, and the reality is that at all these gatherings and demonstrations and uh, confrontations, we only have one thing that we could do that we haven't done. And that's literally to go up and occupy all the government offices and the government building. And we actually think that we could do it, that the numbers are so great and that the, you know, the, the sort of, uh, there's, there's fractures on the other side and we could do it, but we're not. And I said, why not? And they said, because, and maybe this was just their idiosyncratic view of the thing. I have no way of knowing, but I do remember the experience of the discussion. They said, because we have no idea what to do. (laughs) Because we realized that if we did that, we would then be in the position of having to make changes, having to actually implement some kind of program, some kind of vision, or at least move towards some kind of vision. And we have no idea what that is. And so it's interesting that that Meta emerges, obviously, sometime later. But in a way, you could see it as trying to provide or spur or facilitate the emergence of that, of that kind of confidence and vision. And so there's sort of two questions that come out of that. The populace was aroused to that extent. I mean, to that in Greece more than any place else that I had seen. It was quite remarkable. And I'm wondering what you think the prospects are of that happening again. But for the new round to develop sufficient focus and roots and vision to actually persist. And is that sort of the conscious logic of Meta to provide something, facilitate something that's needed for the moment when it's needed? Is that part of the thinking or am I just off in left field here? We would very much hope that this is indeed the case. Uh, In any case, as far as Meta, the think tank itself is concerned, we do have a more international uh, perspective in mind in the sense that, you know, there is the the half-jokingly asked question, can you have post-capitalism in one country, etc. Yet, as far as our political uh, activity in Greece is concerned, our reason for existing, our raison d'etre, is precisely the idea that an alternative can be very very clearly formulated and that the people could indeed opt for that. Yet, there must be a huge caveat here. Uh, In spite of the fact that we exist only because of that faith, only because of that perseverance, You mentioned a time prior to the Greek crisis, which overturned everything. And it was indeed a quasi-rebellion prior to uh, the Greek crisis. So this was episode one. 
Then, as I said previously, you had the Greek people overturn everything, more or less, twice in the last decade. By the way, the Greek people, also demographically speaking, are not the youngest kids in the block. Unfortunately, the pessimists in us, uh, which are defeated by our perseverance to have a political entity precisely for the opposite uh, reason, would ask, how many times can you expect a particular yeah. populace to, well, more or less rebel when they see that even after they do that, even after they opt for precisely that decision about which everybody is telling them in Greece and abroad, there will be catastrophe. You will be turned to dust if you opt for that. How many times can we expect a certain uh, country, <laughs> a certain people, the Greek people in this case, to do that again. Well, we exist for them to do that again, but we have to take this into account because right now in Greece, very dismal situations are unfolding and uh, resistance is scarce. Truth be told, resistance is scarce. And I am very saddened to say that, but the betrayal of the left by itself in the episode of the last government and the coalition of the radical left is, is perhaps the defining element here. Because if the alternative disappears as a sizable object in the political horizon, as something which everybody can understand, and, you know, it's that, it's there, it's the alternative, this should be put uh, into office. Then things get murky. Depression, political depression may ensue, etc., etc., etc. Rather unfortunately, we are precisely at that moment right now, in spite of the fact that, you know, Mera 25, DM25, and its interest in Greece exists in order to overturn that. But we must be, you know, we must diagnose the situation correctly. And you do not have a people right now who is, which is ready to revolt, ready to overturn. I mean, obviously, the situation where I am in the United States is different. We don't have those that scale of uh, uprising in our recent past, but we do have some manifestations of resistance and, and dissent and a similar dynamic in, in some sense. That is, a lot of energy, a lot of discipline, a lot of uh, courage, a lot of desire, and then dissipation and a feeling of cynicism and of despair. And there is a whole lot of that in the United States right now. And so, I mean, what, what, one of the things that interests me about Meta is it comes out of parties and of organizing, and yet it's not subordinate to it. And that's, I think, rather exemplary. And it comes out of a particular country and a small country at that, and yet it is internationalist. And so in those two dimensions, I think Meta is, um, is, is quite exemplary. It is not subordinate to its birth, so to speak, and it is not um, bound by its point of origin, or at least that's how I'm seeing it. And in those, in those respects, it's, it's rather unusual. And it suggests that maybe it's uh, the origin point. Those parties are rather unusual also in their broadness of vision, let's call it, or broadness of focus. 
Do, do you think that all that is is the case? Will you take uh, will you take that as a compliment, or am I off base? <laughs> gladly so, gladly so, because you know usually uh, political parties and entities either have a very cynical aim, as in the case of a governing party right now in Greece, or have a very clear and you know theoretically clarified and articulated in the past political desideratum or a set of policies, you know, like a more generic social democracy, etc. The unique element here is A, the diagnosis that you don't have good old capitalism anymore, but a transitionary period, a liminal uh, period, a threshold. And B, that the motion of history right now is rather... Um, is a cause for pessimism, a cause for pessimism. Yet, an alternative can be formulated, and this is precisely the opportune moment in Old Greek, keros, the opportune moment, precisely because this, these are liminal times, to turn it the other way around. Now, what this, the other way around, means is open to discussion, to analysis, to debate, to disagreement. The only thing that uh, is a precondition is that people agree that these are indeed liminal times, that we have something to avoid, <laughs> to escape from right now, which is the situation this whole thing is taking, etc. That cardinal to the whole thing are new media, new abilities, artificial intelligence, the digital space. However, that is to be evaluated, that this is part of the discussion that should take place. So, by nature and by necessity, this cannot but be an open discussion. Meta is not something which proposes. Meta is a space where people will converge in order to propose things that should be different, are not expected to be identical and tautological. So, that's the idea, more or less. And we were very surprised when when another meta was born some months afterwards. (laughs) out of pure coincidence, whatever, uh, or not, because the other meta is precisely the dystopian direction we are working hard to avoid. So it fits so splendidly with the whole rationale and uh, what we are trying to do as far as theory, analysis, and then intervention, mobilization, organization is concerned. Yeah, I, I I think it's impressive, and I think it's hopeful. And uh, the thing I I wish for it might sound sort of trite and small, but I wish that you don't encounter and succumb to a dynamic which is regrettably quite large now in the United States and in many other places too, which is, I guess you could describe it as a feeling of frustration and weakness with regard to, uh, you know, the large-scale events that are happening of the day and watching the horrors unfold on the one hand, and a desire nonetheless to express some influence, to be powerful, and the result turns out to be often what's called the circular firing squad in which we're expressing our our commitment by attacking not corporations and the state and uh, the like, and by not building the base that we need, 
but by attacking each other. And that, of course, would be incredibly harmful for what it is that Meadow is trying to do. So I hope the United States isn't in the process of exporting that kind of approach, and yet I fear it is. Well, as far as the European uh, context is concerned, uh, we can sympathize to a certain extent, yet we have uh, learned to metabolize our frustration. What do I mean by that? When DiEM, for example, DiEM25 was uh, founded in 2016, the 25 stands for 2025. The idea being that, you know, if in the space of 10 years this does not truly transform into something democratic and very different, it cannot but dissolve. That pessimism slash optimism we had at the beginning has been revised lately because due to the handling of the pandemic, I'm very sorry to say we can be pretty sure that the European Union is not anywhere near a pathway towards uh, democratization. Yet this struggle makes sense and we cannot but continue to engage in it. And there's also another uh, question that should all hell break loose, even if this aim, this desideratum fails in itself, for example, in this case, a Europe that would not dissolve into neo-nationalist member states, uh, you know, and a fracturing into a new 1930s, etc. Shouldn't somebody in an organized manner be there to, to pick up the pieces, as it were, or to propose the possibility of picking up the pieces even after a catastrophe. I understand that this is a not, uh, not, not the most optimistic vision uh, possible, but arguably this is part of how a political entity could perhaps be thinking uh, like in circumstances uh, such as uh, this. Yet there's also another uh, element which, for example, in my particular case, it concerns me a lot. We discuss about a lot of things as if we are certain that um, a road of peace is a given. When you see today a number of international frictions, etc., one, I think, uh, starts understanding that this might not be a given for long. So movements that have a certain quality of disposition concerning what solidarity, society, economy and peace are to look like, cannot but hold in solidarity and by smoothing out differences in order to be still able to converse as, to converse as comrades. Of course, there's always the other danger that, for example, let me give you, and so sorry, but let me give you a Greek example. Now, the, the allegedly left party in Greece, which is one now of the two pillars of bipartisanship in Greece, uh, will argue that, uh, you know, we might not be the saviors you would be expecting, but we are still better, more society-oriented, more um, human than this current government. While this might be true in certain respects, this is a kind of reconciliation that kills any possibility of subversive politics. So attacking one another is a problem, but discerning what is the constellation of the enemy is also <laughs> something that uh, is of essence, to the extent that one does not simply line one's uh, cozy ideological corner 
and simply proclaim the best solution for everything without accepting even an iota of the other person's proposal as well. I think we're more or less on the same page, are we, are yeah. we not? Yeah, I think so. Well, um, are there is there is there a topic or is there something that you'd like to talk about that I haven't opened the door for and what you could open your own door for? Is there something more that you would like to particularly address? Well, perhaps two things. Thank you for the opportunity. The first is in order to give our sorry, in order to give our audience an idea of what we're doing. Well, apart uh, at Meta at the Center for Post Capital Civilization. Uh, well, apart from certain things which have to do with Greek or European politics, etc., we are now in the process of uh, finalizing a series of working papers. We have a working paper series, meta-working papers, uh, on how a post-capitalism would look like. And I'm overjoyed to say thank you very much, Michael, for being part of that project as well. So we aim to create, to, to publish uh, six papers for starters on how a post-capitalist would look like as far as production and the means of production are concerned, one. Two, allocation, the question of the market and alternatives to the market. And three, decision-making, both in a number of levels and as post-capitalist democracy uh, as such. It's interesting that each of these pillars will not be authored by one person, but we have a pair, two different texts for each pillar, because the idea is that we are not there to you know, propose a post-capitalist gospel, but to ignite the discussion. So it's not simply you know, an airy, very theoretical diagnosis that we have a bad post-capitalism, we could have a better one. We are trying to start articulating possibilities of alternative visions, uh, etc., now, of course, the idea is to have this, these English uh, texts published into Greek as well to prepare educational video material, making this simpler and more apt for the internet and media age, etc., etc. Um, at the same time, we're doing certain Greece-related things such as translating books that are important to us, including No Bosses by Michael Albert, if I'm allowed to say that into Greek, because, you know, that's the problem. In English, you have a market of uh, 2 billion, 4, 400 million potential speakers <laughs> of the language and readers of the language, such as myself, for example, who was born Greek. But Greece has a market of 10 million speakers, so important books are not translated into the language. Yet we have a number of uh, the of international projects as well. We have this advisory board of disagreeing intellectuals, which we are very uh, proud about. And we'll start uh, debates between uh, pairs or more of those members. Debates in video format, etc. And this is just the beginning of, um, of an itinerary that has, that has not uh, completed one full calendar year. And we hope to do more. Now, the second uh, point I would like to raise is that it seems that the pandemic in general has found political forces that would like to be subversive not as prepared as we would hope. And this is something of concern both to me as an individual and to the whole question of meta because 
uh, an array of those issues on post-capitalism, etc., is unavoidably framed in the context of the pandemic, the post-pandemic landscape, and so on. Uh, we nurtured hopes in the beginning, or some of us nurtured hopes, that will, this will usher a new era of solidarity, etc., or that this shows the importance of the state and how a neoliberal dream of zero state cannot possibly uh, work, etc. But uh, I think that all those hopes and dreams have been refuted by reality in a rather forceful way. So there's a huge question mark in that. What are we to do with how the pandemic unfolds politically and what the aftermath should look like? And uh, I hope to, we hope to invite any interested persons in discussing that to Meta as also a platform where such discussions and disagreements and debates can take place on issues that unavoidably are vital for what happens. It's interesting because I guess we must be on somewhat the same page because the question that I was going to ask you after asking if you wanted to, if you had something you wanted to talk about was basically, well, what are Meta's current projects and what, how do you see those projects having the effect you know, that you desire. And of course, that's what you just talked about on your own. So that's good. But I, I do want to add something um, or ask an, an additional link on something. So Meta has position papers. Meta has debates. Meta has visual and audio projects based upon those to make them more accessible. That's exactly the kind of stuff that people here are pursuing and thinking about with the same intent. I'm wondering if you guys have had any additional ideas. And the place where you seem to have is this cultural component. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about how people are thinking about, well, what's this cultural component going to do that's going to propel the overall intent of Meta? Well, it starts with the very idea that you have uh, two languages, two tongues, as it were, to articulate certain things. Well, this also has a personal component as well, in that it has to do with Yanis uh, Varoufakis and the Nystratus' life prior to the Greek crisis, where they had founded an organization, Vital Space, which had this mentality, uh, more or less, that politics, theory and art... Uh, are dual ways to express and complementary ways to express certain things. Thus, now Danae Stratu, the noted artist, is uh, at the is spearheading uh, Meta. I do the academic part, and Nikos Kanarelis is uh, coordinating the cultural part. For example, we wanted to start our work in 2020, and. Um, we couldn't do a proper launch event because COVID, <laughs> because the pandemic, because lockdowns. So we opted at metacpc.org slash en, in order for our audience to know about the site, for a digital live streamed uh, launching event. You, you would um, expect from a nascent think tank to have simply talks and talks and talks and talks. But we try to show this dual nature of ours in precisely this launching event as well. So we had a number of performances uh, which would try to articulate similar concerns or the same concerns or parallel concerns 
not with the language of language, but with their uh, respective languages of performance, of etc. etc. Uh, another thing, though, is that you know Greece had a number had one of the longest lockdowns in the world, and uh, artists, the world of culture, were practically cancelled during that. The government would would not say the words but would portray the world of culture, you know, actors, musicians, etc., as people who are on board a hobby that is disposable, disposable, not a real work, not a real job. And apart from that, you know, digital things are fine and very nice, but the political, political collectivity is a very physical thing. All those things, solidarity, collectivity, the public square, these are physical things as well. And things which uh, Greeks in that particular case were deprived of for, for of four months. Sorry, were deprived of four months. So just after the lockdown, we unleashed our troop uh, in Greek Buluki. So we moved with certain artists around Greece in order to offer a feast, a celebration that would be open to all, no admission, no ticket which would reclaim the public square. This would have Greek traditional shadow theatre with a political twist. So it was politically inundated with political comments. Uh, then we had a certain um, stand-up comedy, but again with a twist. And then uh, a musician who fuses traditional Greek music with much more contemporary uh, techniques and concerns and beyond. So we would move around with this troupe, which is a buluki, as it's called in Greek, in, is something that we had in earlier decades, etc. You know, the moving artists. And this idea of reclaiming the public square in a very political way via art and in a feast, a celebration that would be open to all, is just an example of how we see the cultural and artistic part forming a part of this endeavor, of this uh, inquiry. But there's more, there's more. Is there, is there a dimension, that, I mean, the dimension that you describe, the, the, the activities that you describe are the natural ones, I think, that would come first with an artistic inclination to, you know, to communicate. But I wonder whether there's also a notion of impacting not just the the local presentation in the square and moving theater and the like. Perhaps we had something in the U.S. called the Living Newspaper, which was dramatizing events in a way that made the political points and so on uh, locally. I wonder whether there's a notion that there could emerge TV from Greece, novels from Greece, poetry from Greece, that is trying to do this kind of thing as well. In other words, does Meta see itself on the 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 artistic side to, as trying to sponsor and sustain these kinds of activities, which are of course so poorly supported in the broad society, at least when they're highly political? Is there any notion like that? Well, we are acutely interested in this. Yet we face a practical problem in making our ambitions, you know, materialize. Sure. That, you know, publishing a paper or even translating a book has such and such cost. 
But organizing a proper cultural event is of a different scale. And we are currently the smallest party in the Hellenic Parliament. We have no other funds rather than the budget for such a thing. Uh, so we cannot but be a bit frugal in our in the immediate application of our dreams, yet we are open to ideas. And in order just to cite an example, I hope not to be bringing you in an awkward uh, position by saying that, uh, in order to cite an example of how theory and art could be conjoined, as you, as you know better than I do, there is an ongoing debate of, of you with Yanis Varoufakis, between you and Yanis Varoufakis on post-capitalism. And uh, both uh, Meta and Znet have published the first exchange on that. Our hope is that when this is concluded or when this reaches a certain fruition, this might be turned into a graphic novel for both an international audience, primarily an international audience and secondarily a Greek one as well. So this is also an example of how media Uh, can be can be conjoined in a certain sense. Yet we are, of course, open to ideas as to how the cultural element could be more acerbic and active and communal. Yet, unfortunately, you'd have to speak with the other person, Nikos Kanarelis, who uh, caters after the 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 cultural pillar of uh, Meta's endeavor. We're closing on an hour, and. Uh... I want to tell you, it's been a pleasure uh, to see you and meet you as compared to just sending emails. It would be a bigger pleasure to be able to be in the same room, uh, but I guess that's going to wait for a little while. Or on the same Greek island, even better. Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> When I was there, I saw some of that, and I have to admit, I've been around a little bit because of speaking around the world. But uh, Greece was one of the most beautiful places Uh, by far, not not by a little bit, that I visited. And, you know, it would be wonderful to get on one of those boats and go out to one of those islands. And, and, and you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a magical place. In any event, I want to thank you for being on. And uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime in the future. And that said, this is uh, Mike Albert signing off for this episode of Revolution Z.